You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Adam Geller, founder of Edthena, which is a video coaching and professional learning platform. Teachers upload videos of their classroom teaching, and colleagues then provide time-stamped feedback. As far as Adam's concerned, after he left the classroom, he joined the national strategy team of Teach for America, where he designed technology impacting teachers across the country. He was named to Forbes 30 Under 30 and is a past Education Ventures Fellow at the Kauffman Foundation. Adam, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I believe the last time we spoke was on a very crowded show floor at TCEA with people cheek and jowl up against the uh, just doing what you do at, at trade shows, right? We kind of, kind of missed that. What is a trade show? It's such a distant memory. I can, I can barely even remember it. I know. I, I actually even had a dream about an airport bar the other night, which is kind of like, it's like I really miss going to events. Yeah, it is. I think it's it's good and bad, right? I, I think uh, I do miss some of those professional connections. I think there's a real opportunity for that. I do think it's good because I think that, you know, as an industry, we're really having to step back from some of the the rituals and kind of repeated ways of doing things and make sure that we're, you know, delivering what ultimately uh, the partners and the districts need which may or may not be an in-person conference anymore, right? Well, very true. Um, so I think it's uh, it's really pushing us to make sure that we're focused on the right things, not just uh, great booths and uh, and happy hours. Right, right. Well, I guess the you know, the million dollar question, unfortunately, for for most of these podcasts, um, revolve around that moment when maybe probably in March, where the pandemic started to take hold here in the United States and. Is that when you began to see things change for Edthena? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting the particular place that we fit into this context of the world is changing. Uh, because on one hand, many of the kind of day-to-day business signals and activities, like everyone, came to pretty much a halt, right? People, yeah. uh, you know, with schools closed and people not on email and not in their offices, the typical ways of interacting weren't the ways you could interact anymore. Right. You know, I think that to the extent that any of our partners were operating uh, on the higher ed side or on the, the K-12 side, you know, usage was continuing um, and in some ways reinvented uh, for the new context. And and I think that's the second part of, of where we sit in everything is that, you know, right now, uh, there's a lot of talk about supporting teachers as adult learners in a distanced environment. And Athena was built from the ground up to support that virtualized connection. Sure, you could meet in person and and do a conversation about what you're seeing on the video inside the platform. 
But we've seen time and again through our partnerships that you can run a completely virtualized process. Uh, now, the idea of a completely virtualized process uh, is is not a uh, a far off talk <laughs> of the future, but everyone's current reality. Right, just slapping us right in the face. You know, the coverage that I've been following and and producing uh, about this whole transformation has rightly so focused on students. And even um, kind of the social emotional uh, effects of remote learning. Um, what I haven't seen a lot talked about is the effect that this has had on on teachers, uh, on the professionals. Is that something that you have had to deal with in the past few weeks? Absolutely. I mean, I think that if we were to generalize, which is, is tricky and dangerous, but I think if we were to generalize, teachers on the whole uh, were prepared and ready to be teaching in person. And so then suddenly you flip a switch and equity and access issues aside, you have a profession that is on the whole uh, learning again how to teach. Uh, and so suddenly everybody's back to square one and struggling through, you know, the, I'll, I'll borrow the title from Harry Wong, you know, the first days of, of school, the first days of teaching, I can't remember the exact title at the moment. Uh, but, you know, that first day that you're going to facilitate a flipped classroom lesson, or that first day you're going to facilitate a synchronous video conference with students and then do subgroups for, for, uh, student conversation. I mean, this is, of course, the ideal uh, scenario, but that's still challenging and different than facilitating in-classroom lessons. I mean, suddenly facilitating student practice looks very different. Right. Uh, managing student misbehavior looks very different. And so, I think that was and has been uh, a, a big need for uh, folks as they move past the very important and urgent set of questions around uh, how do we manage the kind of first tier needs of the students that we serve. I think the conversation does get into in ensuring that you can support teachers and sustain uh, their efforts over time um, because, yeah, you can ask everyone to put on the superhero cape for a few months. Right. But for as much as we like to call teachers superheroes, you know, that's not sustainable. Uh, and we need to make sure that, um, you know, especially with the uncertainty of what the fall looks like, that we are creating a path forward for teachers that basically means that they are supported in their work to do all these new things. That is a kind of opening up the conversation for what does professional development, professional learning look like in a uh, distanced context. And then, you know, if you kind of, for the audience of, of this you know, episode, you know, think about, uh, you know, lots and lots of businesses that had in-person services, right, where you typically would have gone in person to provide support on how to be successful with curriculum A or tool B. Mm -hmm. All of that kind of support infrastructure and service uh, model needs to now transition to supporting teachers in a more remote and distanced way. That's a lot of I guess uh, that that's heavy, right? But there, yep. I guess there's a silver lining here, which is uh, it's going to push us all to be asking questions around efficiency to ensure that we're delivering the most equitable support possible with the resources that are available. Right. Well, now talk a little bit about 
had seen a, and correct me when I'm wrong, <laughs> which is quite often. But when, when I've looked at the product before and we've talked about the things, it seems to me that it was a tool uh, out of many tools that a district would use uh, to enhance professional development. Since the pandemic has struck, has it become the only tool? Or I mean, how, how has uh, your services transitioned as a result of this madness? I'd like to imagine we're the only tool, but um, that would keep me just in the <laughs> imagination part of life. <laughs> you know, so the thing that people know at Athena 4, which is the interface for commenting on videos, you know, uh, oftentimes we'll show that to folks and then quickly follow up and say, hey, this is the tip of the iceberg. Because what's underneath is really a, a pretty sophisticated set of tools to run a professional learning process. Um, in fact, you know, when you're talking about instructional coaching and using Athena for that, you might call it your coaching management system, mm -hmm. right? So there, there's a lot of things underneath that uh, all have have something very important in common, uh, which is the type of learning that happens inside of Athena is focused on implementation and practice. So I think it's important to compare that to other types of learning that might be available right now. You are not going to use Athena to conduct a webinar, right? Mm -hmm. uh, webinars have their place, but they also have their extreme limitations for supporting uh, teachers actually transferring skills into their teaching practice. Right. Uh, and so I think especially in a world where being challenged to kind of redefine what does it mean to be teaching? What does it mean to be facilitating learning? Redefining that. Um, suddenly, you know, all those artifacts of the, the teaching and learning process, because it's not just about the teacher, it can be artifacts from students as well uh, to understand what's happening. I think having that tool set to richly analyze those things that um, in the absence of Edthina, you wouldn't have any way to look at it together except for you know, a digitized version of what we were doing before, which is, okay, you have a Zoom meeting and I'm the coach and I'm going to pop in at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't think people are, I mean, some are definitely headed in that direction, but I don't think that there's an assumption that we have to be in that mode of continuing the kind of observation and feedback of teachers. Um, so as observation and feedback and actual uh, feedback on actual practice remains important in districts. I think that that's where Athena fits in. Gotcha. We'll talk about the short term a little bit. I mean, where, um, what sort of focus or speculation would you like to put down on what's going to happen this September? <laughs> I mean, even even within the in, in the context of you know, I just think about when we would do our back to school issues and we'd be talking about professional learning and how all yeah. the teachers would be crammed in for four days to learn how to use the, the you know, the latest this or the latest that. And I, I even kind of to learn how to use your product or service. But mm -hmm. what, what, what does your ear to the ground say? Well, I think that my ear to the ground uh, reveals the reality-based perspective that a lot of school leaders and district leaders are taking related to, let's call it contingency planning for the fall, and the gap that that might have between what they perceive as a likely outcome and what we may be hearing from politicians and elected leaders and uh, appointed leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there's a lot of 
optimism and ideal scenarios conveyed in what we're hearing from a public policy perspective right now. And the reality for a school district leader is, you know, even the best case scenario would be modified schedules and, you know, like the best case is not going back to the way it was. Right. Uh, And so I think as a result, people are trying right now, you know, I think we're past the kind of mad dash scramble to piece together something uh, for the rest of the school year. And we're shifting into a mode of planning for next fall. So, you know, we just, for example, partnered with a new district. uh, So they're confirmed for for next fall. And they're thinking through uh, their special ed services Hmm. in particular. And how, you know, not only from a um, ethical perspective, but from a legal and compliance perspective, they really need to have a better system in place to support a really diverse set of learners who are at home and needing to receive an education. Right. You know, that leader, you know, because I, I, I happened to talk with that particular district leader and she was not planning for schools to open in the fall, right? Okay, yeah, right. She's just like, that's not happening. Uh, she's assuming that they need to have a better version of what happened this spring. Um, because, you know, I think there's a lot that we don't know. That's the problem, right? Yeah. And so, until such time that we have uh, more science and a treatment plan, uh, school leaders are very realistic to the fact that how in the world are you going to put a bunch of kids into a classroom together even if you had rotating schedules, you still have the teacher that's interacting with right. group A and group B over time. Like something doesn't add up. And so I think as a result, they're just trying to make a, a realistic plan for the fall. Um, and then, you know, so that's virtual in, in a lot of different things, professional learning, uh, learning, and also in a lot of districts. And I think really important, you know, to, to bring in here is a lot of districts don't have uh, a full suite of technology that, is going to be available for those students in all grades. And so they're making plans for how to ensure that those learners do have some sort of meaningful learning opportunity given the resources that the district has. Right, right. Man, the, uh, how about in, in, a, in a longer term sense, uh, you mentioned silver linings uh, earlier. Are you seeing any sort of um, innovations being made uh, through the use of technology in these remote setups that, you could say, hey, that could be a, a new feature. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's maybe less on the technology side and more that, you know, from a policy and procedures perspective, there mm-hmm. is an opportunity to try a different version of the quote unquote system that wouldn't have been possible before. You can imagine if somebody proposed moving to all home based schooling, that would never have been a policy that could have moved forward, right? Right. Uh, But here we are, like, we didn't really have a choice. And and so here we are. So I think the same thing is suddenly true. You know, you start to, you're starting to hear from some school superintendents talking about kind of unbundling and breaking apart some of the typical ways we understand what grade is a student in and how are we advancing them along their trajectory of, of mastery and how are we utilizing teachers yeah. uh, to be kind of experts for learning? It's not necessarily about, you know, the sage on the stage kind of problem. Uh, but, you know, especially amid some very real and unfortunate budget cuts that are likely to be coming. Um, right. 
that, okay, how in the world are we going to ensure that we have high quality learning experiences facilitated by a master teacher uh, for all students? Uh, maybe we have fewer master teachers and we use technology to amplify uh, how many students they're able to quote unquote teach to or facilitate learning with. And then we have a different set or a different cadre of uh, either paraprofessionals or earlier career teachers or, or whatever, what have you, where, you know, this is a resources issue, so they're, they're paid less. But now you can have multiple of these, you know, in the college setting called a TA yep. type folks supporting learning in some pretty innovative ways. I mean, what's funny, of course, is that, uh, you know, there's an organization, Rocket Ship Education, that has tried that already. Um, but that's uh, a charter organization that, relatively speaking, is very small compared to most major districts. Right. Um, so when you have a major district starting to entertain ideas like that, that's where I think there's the silver lining because suddenly we are able to try some pretty big things that could hopefully change the system for the better in the long term. And when I think about your your product, your services too, that I, if I recall, just the idea of the peer-based coaching uh, versus the, the top-down sort of uh, assessment of your performance uh, was a big thing. So, I mean, that was kind of a, that was a, a social, emotional learning aspect as well, right? I mean, is, is that something that continues now? Absolutely. And I think, you know, we were just talking about the kind of breaking apart of the the structures and procedures for the, the teaching as represented by the curriculum and the standards. I, I think the same thing is happening pretty rapidly related to teacher evaluation. You know, teacher evaluation is uh, sometimes joke the E word, right? You want to stay away <laughs> yeah, from it because right. evaluation is, is a really thorny uh, topic. Yeah. But when suddenly you've paused, let's say, the traditional measures of accountability, you open the door to asking, okay, like, if our state believes that we need to understand where teachers are and how they're growing, and we're not going to be using, you know, this test and that evaluation workflow and whatnot, how can we use a more professional learning portfolio-based approach to understanding educator professional learning? And essentially, um, you know, I, I guess from a, a state policy perspective, hold our districts accountable while rethinking what evaluation looks like. I mean, that is already happening in a variety of different ways. Um, and I think in some ways that m might be more exciting than than talking about, you know, how we're going to modify curriculum or, or instruction or teaching, because I think the the instruction, the teaching is more in, in kind of like a a day-to-day -day kind of question right. and the value and the, and the concept of how do you have accountability without strict uh, end-of-year tests and strict evaluations, right? Because accountability is important, but um, how do you how do you have accountability in the absence of those things? And, and defining a whole new structural way of doing that uh, that's a that's a real big change because yeah. I mean it's it's kind of like you know right now there's some things that are being proposed as temporary ideas, but let me compare it to something that's uh, I, I live in San Francisco uh, something that's being that's going to happen here in about two weeks, which is restaurants are for the first time going to be able to start 
having uh, essentially alfresco dining. You yeah. know, think think like Europe. You're going to have the sidewalks and the parking spaces taken over by tables so that people can eat safely um, and partake in the restaurant experience, et cetera. Okay, great. That's being pitched as a temporary thing. But how do you roll that back? Because that's going to be a really good thing that a lot of people like. And if yeah. it was working, you can't really like do a take back. Yes. And I think that we're going to have the same thing when we talk about structural questions for accountability, because we're going to find that we are able to have a world where we demand that districts deliver equitable options for all of their students um, and figure out how to do that without needing maybe some of the same tools that we've been in some ways locked in place to doing um, from a, a, a policy perspective, from a, a law perspective. Like, there's a lot of reasons why we do that. Yeah. Um, but I think once we try something new and potentially some might call it wildly different, it's going to be hard to completely forget that you tried that that new thing. Right. Another fascinating aspect that I've I've noticed during this transition, uh, and speaking as a parent, <laughs> um, is the inclusion of parents into the entire kind of education equation, mm-hmm. which in the past, you know, really wasn't really wasn't there, um, and especially when it comes to the evaluation of teachers, right? There has been so many memes and uh, YouTube videos of of exasperated parents saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we only pay you $40,000 a year. You should be paid a million dollars a year. And, uh, you know, just everyone kind of finally acknowledging uh, what a difficult job teaching is. Mm -hmm. Do you see that working its way into as another example of maybe we won't be able to get that back into the box, that there'll be a new appreciation for teachers and the work they do? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And maybe even work parent evaluation into teachers in some way? That's an interesting question. So, I think that there is the parent belief systems, which you were just talking about, which I I do think that that's going to be helpful in reshaping the kind of civic energy that you might find around a bond measure to support teacher salaries or or something like that, right? You might be able to uh, put put a bond measure together specifically around that idea that like our community wants to value our teachers more. Yeah. I think where the kind of realistic and long-term change, you know, so maybe it's not immediately shown in the salaries, which, you know, I, I also agree teachers should get paid more is that, you know, in this period of all the students being at home, the kind of always a good idea, but, maybe further down the list of priorities for school districts uh, was authentic and genuine and truly two-way communication with parents. Yep. And so, I think that is really where there's the most potential to, you know, not not go back to the way it was before. Um, unfortunately, i I not too rosy on uh, suddenly community saying, yeah, let's pay teachers more. I wish they would say that. Yeah. But I do think that now that everyone was forced on both sides, both the, the, the school district as well as the parents were forced to become active in that communication channel 
about what was happening with the student and the learning in a more kind of authentic and, and deep way. I think that's where there might be the kind of pathway for long-term changes to kind of stick. Um, because I, I'm not sure if you're a parent who has suddenly, you know, become more interested in why your students are learning a certain lesson or why they're learning a certain way, you're not going to suddenly go back to just saying, well, I, I trust them, right? You're yeah. going gonna to be living in a, in a moment that says like, well, you know, it's probably important that I go ask, why is this happening? Um, and I'm going to use that channel that they showed me existed before that now continues to exist. Right. And it's not that I have to wait three weeks uh, to go to the parent-teacher conference and sit at a, you know, at a card table with five sets of parents behind me. We're going to set up a FaceTime call or we're going to set up a, yeah. a Zoom. But I mean, I think that those demands from the community and from the parents and the guardians will essentially um, force there to be a set aside in the kind of time in the teacher's day to be able to accomplish those goals those things, right? right because right. I, I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, now teachers need to communicate with parents more. Well, you know, of course, if you if we roll back the clock six months, the reality was is most teachers are not sitting around twiddling their thumbs all day long at a school, Yep. right? They're, you know, it's like the adage, they barely have time to go to the bathroom. That's right. right. That's <laughs> like, right. Like, uh, it's a busy, hectic experience. Um, and so, to the extent we want teachers to continue being able to have the capacity and the bandwidth to have that kind of rich set of communications with parents, we have to make that a priority uh, in the same way we would, you know, say that you've got to teach math every day, right? right? Like right. It's, it's a clear set aside. Right. So Adam, one last question. Talk a little bit about uh, the, the companies who used to provide in-person professional development services. Uh, who are now unable to do that? Give a give us a little guidance there on what what do you think is going to be happening when you, you're purely virtual? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think when you think about those in person services, the value uh, from the perspective of the district is the 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 time from that person, that expert uh, from a particular service provider who uh, is spending and focusing it on their teachers, and oftentimes that might come in. You know, they, they would call it professional development or, or coaching or whatnot. Um, but now if that's not happening in person, I think that there's still a real opportunity for all of those service pro providers to continue uh, being that, that resource of expert time, um, but now just doing it virtually. So in the same way that, uh, you know, we would advise a district to think about how their coaches can observe you know, recorded representations of teaching practice and, and, and learning episodes with students. Uh, now, you know, the service providers can do the same thing, right? So they yeah, are standing yeah. in like that instructional coach. Um, and by the way, this isn't just a, a hypothetical, you know, we have worked with organizations in the past, you know, years ago now, uh, where 
they're essentially building a completely virtual professional services network uh, to, it was for, in the context of a research study, but, you know, they were never in person with the teachers. They were never in the classrooms one-on-one. Uh, hmm. -on -one. They were using that recorded representation of the teaching and the learning. Uh, you have the experts from the organization who were providing that targeted feedback just the same way as you might have somebody in the district. And then they were leveraging other assets that they stored inside of our platform. Um, you know, so when, let's say they were coaching on, they were coaching on math, so I'll be specific, you know, when they said, oh, like, you know, this lesson really should look different, you know, why don't you go look at example A that we have in our library? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not a, it, it's not a what if or a maybe, it is definitely a, a thing that organizations need to consider. But I th guess in good news for them is that, you know, there it, the technology exists. Um, you know, I'm biased. I would tell them come knock on Athena's door, but <laughs> right, the technology right. exists for them to fully transition into delivering those services at scale. Um, because I think that's the other question that often gets asked: is like, oh, okay, well, how am I going to actually deliver hundreds and hundreds of contact hours using, you know, Google Drive and Google Meet? Yeah. Well, you're probably not, right? You probably need a tool set that's built for the scaling that that uh, that kind of interaction model. Got it. Well, Adam, we're running out of time here. I really appreciate uh, your time uh, and the uh, insights that you've uh, provided for us in the audience and would like to thank the audience for, for tuning in and uh, hope that uh, you will come and listen to another episode of Remote Possibilities. <laughs>